I'm going to speak tonight on the message entitled, Why God Broke Moab. Why God Broke Moab. We see in Jeremiah 48, verse number 38, he says, There shall be lamentation generally upon all the housetops of Moab, and in the streets thereof, for I have broken Moab like a vessel wherein is no pleasure, saith the Lord. Lord, we come to you tonight. We ask you to speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that uh, as we look at this example that you've given in a prophetic manner of what your plan was to do to this people and the cause, the reason for it, I pray we would take a word of caution from it and try to do our best to stand against these things in our lives that we might not be in danger of coming under your chastening hand and being broken as these people were. Lord, we pray you'd bless the service in Jesus' name. Amen. The Moabite nation is a nation that's been around, was around for a very long time. By this point, uh, of course, uh, coming from Moab, uh, one of Lot's grandchildren from that illicit relationship with his daughters. The history of this people, the Moabites, oftentimes is seen, I mean, in Scripture when they come up, it's, it's in relation to the problems that they're giving God's people, to the challenges that they're facing. Uh, it's talking about the false gods that they served and how they're uh, tempting and God's people are being pulled away or in one manner or another. But you get to this book, the book of Jeremiah, and we see this prophet preaching in a prophetic way about what God was going to do to this nation. Jeremiah preaches in the first 33 chapters of this of his book here, uh, really a message to Judah as a nation. He describes his personal suffering, what he's done in verse chapters 34 and 35, but then he gets into a message to the nations, and he gives a message to Egypt in chapter 46, and a message to the Philistines in chapter 47, and a message to Moab in chapter 48. God told the Moabite people that he was going to break them, that the people would be lamenting, that there would be great crying in the housetops and in the streets. But at the same time, he told them why. You know, if I told you this evening, and please, sometimes people only hear little pieces of stuff and they don't listen to the whole thing. I don't know if their mind was in neutral until I said it, but I can't tell you how many times I say something like this and then somebody, somebody comes to me. If I told you tonight that I burned up the transmission on the Suburban, okay, I did not burn up the transmission on the Suburban, okay, <laughs> So that, that's good. I'm just saying, if I did, uh, and I was going to tell you why, not necessarily in a church service, but as we were out talking, and I was going to say, this is what I did. I mean, anybody with some knowledge would want to know just to, for knowledge's sake, to be sure and avoid it so you don't do that. I mean, we want to know what, oh, what, what caused that? Why did that happen? Oh, I want to make sure that I don't do that. Uh, you know, you can't put water in your transmission. It doesn't work. You got to have transmission fluid, you know, just letting you know. Okay. So I'm waiting for the questions later about why I did that. Um, but what I'm saying is that he was given, if you were given some instruction like that, you would want the knowledge. 
so you could learn, so you could avoid making the mistake. Well, what, this is what God has given us here when he describes and talks about this group of people and why. He very clearly tells us why, but look with you, Wood, if uh, we're just going to jump through the chapter here and look at several verses to see the, the promise that God had made in verse number four. Look at verse number four. He says, Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused a cry to be heard. Look in verse number 15. Moab is spoiled and gone up out of her cities, and his chosen young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of the host. Look at verse number 20. He says, Moab is confounded, for it is broken down. Howl and cry. Tell yea, it in Amron and Moab is spoiled. Look at verse number 25. Then the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, saith the Lord. It was in 586 B.C., you know, that Jerusalem was destroyed. And it was just a few years later that God used Babylon to come in and bring these people, to break these people as a nation. You know, this is a side note, and I'm not preaching on our nation today, but as I was preparing this, I thought about how fitting this passage of Scripture and the statements that are here would be of our country, and how fitting and how much we must look at as far as a nation, and I'm not dealing with that tonight. Tonight we're talking about on a personal level, but as a nation, we better take heed to some of these things because God's going to break us. God's going to break us. But I want you to see, first of all, beloved, and you'll see how fitting this would be for a description of America, but I don't want you just to put it on America tonight. I want you to think about your own heart and your own life. Look at verse number seven. We see, first of all, the reason that God came and broke them was because they were self-reliant. They were self-reliant. He says in verse number seven, he says, for because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures... And thou shalt also be taken, and Shamash shall go forth into captivity with the priest and his princes together. He says, because you've trusted in thy works, because you've trusted in thy treasures. Beloved, they had come to the place where it was all about their strength and their ability. And praise God that we as a people, as a nation, have, have great strength and God has blessed us. And, and, but, hey, we've got to remember that it came from God. And not just as a nation, but as individuals, if you are physically strong tonight, if you have the ability to get out and work and to do a job and to accomplish something, we realize and must remember that strength comes from God. That ability comes from God. How many times you, you hear strong men talk about how they, you know, pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and they are basically saying, I accomplished all this. I did this. Everything you see, I, I did this with my own hands. But what they forget is who gave them the strength to do it, where that it came from. And this is a serious thing, beloved. God, God takes it very seriously when we forget about him and we begin to rely just on ourselves. When we begin to just think about what we are doing and we don't see the hand of God. They were trusting in their own works and their own actions they had come to the place where they could no longer see what God was doing for them. Do you see God working in your life? You know, others may mock your praise, but it honors God. And it also helps you keep a focus on where it's coming from. 
When you're praising, you're keeping a focus on where it's coming from. Do you see God working in your life? Do you see Him orchestrating things? Do you see Him leading your steps? And, and, uh, or do you just living through your days wondering where God is? Maybe you need to ask God, Lord, help me to see you today. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. We got an email. I don't know if it was late last night or during the day today. Late last night from somebody the church did. Uh, somebody here in Padonia just emailed the church, said they want to they get in church. They just need a ride. And immediately in my mind, I said, you reap what you sow. And in my mind, I thought, had I not responded to the last individual that reached out to the church and said, could somebody help us? Could somebody just come and meet my mom and, and sit with my mom or take my mom to dinner? I mean, could somebody just come? It could, had I not responded to that, I think God wouldn't have sent us this. I saw God's hand in it soon as soon as it came through. In my mind, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. It's not, not anything I, I did, but I'm saying, Lord, you know, God, God blesses and, and it's his hand. And, and I'm thrilled about the opportunity to reach somebody else. And all we got to do is pick them up. And they might even be right on the bus route. But if not, we'll get somebody else. You know, I'm not sure. She's 64 years old. I'm not sure she's going to want to ride the bus. But one way or another, we'll, we'll get her to church. We'll give her a ride. She wants to come and have a place to worship and, and be in God's uh, house. She lost her husband last year, lost her son last year. And got to the place, she says, I know I need God's family. The Lord willing, she'll be in church next Sunday. But what I'm saying is, do you see God working or are you coming to the place where you're just relying on your own strength? Beloved, God is in control and we need to recognize and see his hand and don't be guilty of relying on ourselves and thinking we're accomplishing it and doing it all on our own. You might be as fit as can be today, but beloved, you know, tomorrow you could get a phone call. Just in, in one day's time. Your outlook on life can be changed drastically. I got a text from Brother Gordon. The text started out really good. He's like, praise God. My wife had such an amazing time there with you guys. And the ladies retreat was such a blessing. And she sure enjoyed the fellowship. And, and it was just a great time. Please pray for her. She's down sick with COVID. She's sick as can be and in bad shape. And she had a ministry she was supposed to do this week at her church. And, uh, you know, he says she's not doing well. Quick. I mean, she was just here. How many have in one week got a phone call and found out, oh, I've got cancer? That changes our perspective really quick. Beloved, we know that you know, God has given medicine, he's given us doctors, and he's given us uh, all these things, but ultimately it's God that we're trusting in. He said, you trusted in thy works, and he says, you trusted in thy treasures. I wonder how many of us are trusting in our treasure. You know, some of you are like, well, not me, I ain't got none. <laughs> but you know what, even the poorest among us is rich. We are so blessed in this country and we have so much that we oftentimes, our problems are a result of how much stuff we have. 
Many of the problems that we're dealing with, for instance, you know, uh, you know, things on the vehicle not working or, or you know, I, I've got a four-wheeler and it's messed up. And, and I told the kids, I says, well, if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have that problem. But so I'm blessed to be able to have it. So I'll take the problem with it. But I'm just saying, you know what? Many times a lot of the problems we have in this life are because of how much stuff we have, how many blessings we have, how much treasure we got. They were trusting in their own treasures. We as a people are very full, blessed beyond measure. We're spoiled, beloved. Spoiled both as Americans, but also as Christians. Think about the blessings of God that you have just spiritually. We read stories in our devotions together as a family, and I just can't help but think about these Folks on a foreign field in another country under communist rule or whatever where they have nobody that believes like them. They have nobody that they can call up and say, would you pray with me for this? Would you come over and spend a little time with me? Can we pray together? Or let's do a Bible study together. They don't even have a copy of the Word of God in their language. They can't gather and worship freely with God's family. They can't get together and hold a prayer meeting or a worship service. I'm saying we are so bountifully blessed with regards to spiritual things. And many times we take them for granted. We can't even put a price on the spiritual bounty that God has given us. Are you trusting today in your investments or your 401ks? You know, as well as I do, <laughs> that those can change in just two years. <laughs> they can change in less time than that. They, you think, oh man, things are going really good, man. I'm doing good. I'm going to be able to retire. I remember years ago, a young man, I say young, uh, you know, he was probably about 40 at the time. And, uh, but young to be talking about retirement. And he was saying, man, i tell you what, I invested, I invested right, I did good. This was back in the dot-com era. He's like, I'm doing really well and things are moving exactly how I want. I'm looking at in about three years, I'm going to be able to retire. He woke up one day, one day from the different, and it was all gone. I'm saying, beloved, I was talking to somebody, this, Miss Lisa, I was talking to Miss Lisa this morning about, you know, things out in the world can get bad, but we're not trusting in that anyway. Ultimately, our, our assurance and our strength we know comes from God. And uh, his, his blessing and, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're just trusting him. What I want you to see is God came to the place where he said, if you're not going to trust me, I'm going to have to break you. I'm going to take that 401k down to $5. I'm going to do, do something where you'll start to look up again. And certainly as a nation, we need to look up again. But I wonder about us individually. If we aren't complacent and sidetracked with how good things are going. But you see, secondly, that God came and determined that he needed to break them because they were comfortable. 
Look at verse number 11, Jeremiah 48 and verse number 11. He says, Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his leaves, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remaineth in him, and his scent is not changed. This very picturesque language giving to us a description of a group of people that haven't known hardship. This is literally what it's talking about. It's the idea that they haven't been poured out from vessel to vessel. The idea of, of, of a vessel or a liquid, something that's just sat there and become and gotten stagnant and, and hasn't been used. It hasn't been poured out and reacquired or regained. It's just sat there and almost is useless at this point. It's just been from vessel to vessel. He says they haven't gone into captivity. They haven't known any hardship. They haven't known any captivity. And until 9-11, America had never fought any war on their own soil. We've been blessed as a nation to not have to. I mean, you think about it and you've seen the pictures of how Ukraine is getting destroyed. City after city, just buildings and, and millions and billions of dollars worth of damage being done. The tremendous loss of life, but as, as a nation, we, we haven't had to endure that. They were comfortable, but I wonder how many of us are comfortable. How many of us are at ease? We are certainly a soft people today. We're soft Christians I know that we're a busy church. I know we do a lot of things. And I was just talking to the deacons today and in prayer time. I said, Let's, God, help us not to have activity just for the sake of activities. We don't want to just do something just to be doing it. We want things that build people that help strengthen families, that, that, that are for a purpose and that accomplish an end goal. It's not just to be busy to be busy. But beloved, don't begrudge the activity. Don't begrudge the, the service, the opportunities to serve God in whatever capacity or means it is. For as we talked about this morning, that's what we've been saved for, is to serve. If we're going to be heavy on one side or the other, let's forget the activities altogether and let's just serve Jesus. Because it really is not about just having fun. It's about making a difference for eternity. We've got to be careful about getting at ease, about getting too comfortable, about making things too easy. And it's something that I have to push against as a pastor because we're very easy, comfortable people today. As a whole, we, we want things comfortable <laughs> in, in every aspect. Uh, from the temperature in the room, you know, it's amazing because I'll walk up the aisle and I'll have somebody tell me, Pastor, it's freezing in here. And I'll have come down a little aisle a little further. i have somebody up here tell me, Pastor, it's hot in here. <laughs> and i uh, say, yeah, we're, we're just trying to make you all happy, you know. I think it's warmer down front, just so you know. If you want to be cold, sit down front. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you know, just it, the, the difference. We all want it comfortable. We try and build everything and make people as comfortable as we can, not just from the atmosphere of the room, but how we engage them and the space we give them and, and you know, how we interact. And it's all about trying to build and make things as comfortable as you can for people. And that, in an effort to reach people, is good. Praise God. But once we're here and we're God's people and this God's family, I mean, it, it ought not matter that much for us. You know, my brother-in-law, Scott Hanks, his, his dad uh, pastored in Illinois for a lot of years, Sock Village, Illinois, and uh, they had pews without padding and an auditorium without air conditioning. And he did that on purpose. He said, I'm never putting air conditioning here. If you want it cold to go to church, go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, he just, he's just an old school, you know, hard-nosed guy. And he's like, bless God, that's not what it's about. No, he's gone home to be with, 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 with the Lord now, but... But I'm saying is for Christians, that shouldn't be the most important thing. It's like, oh, I can't go to church. You know, the AC is not working today or the heat is not working today. I can't, I can't go to church. It shouldn't be about how comfortable we are, how easy we are. It should be about God and his will and what he wants us to do. Beloved, we're in a battle. And right now we're behind enemy lines. You're not supposed to get all comfortable behind enemy lines. You're supposed to be vigilant, on guard. And the Bible tells us that. Be sober, be vigilant, because you're adversary of the devil. Amen? We're behind enemy lines. You know, we need, to, we need to guard the youth as well. Be careful that we don't let the world's philosophy about making it easy, easy for the young. Those of you that have kids that you're raising and training, you need to push them. You need to put responsibility on them, as we said this morning. It's important that they don't have a life of ease, that they have responsibilities to do. My kids still mow the lawn. It's been transferred down. Now it's Caleb's job over there. It takes about five hours a week to mow the lawn. It's a good job for him. Right now it's still fun because he's riding that mower, you know. But it turns to work pretty quick in July and August. (laughs) And the wind's blowing, all that junk all over you. But it's good for them to have responsibility. We burn wood. And it saves the church thousands of dollars every year. But we don't burn wood for that reason. We burn wood so that the kids have a job to do. We sold wood for a long time because so that the kids would have work to do. They got a little bit of money out of it. But it was so they had work to do. Now they, I've told several people, we're, we're done selling wood. The, the older kids are gone, and these younger two have, have enough work to do. They've got side jobs, and they're staying busy doing that in school, and so we're, we're done selling wood. And I'm saying hallelujah. <laughs> and they're saying hallelujah. <laughs> they're thrilled. But what I'm saying is you need to find work for them to do. Don't just let them sit around all day. Find a way to, you know, and it's hard. My dad always said, I, I feel sorry for any kid that doesn't get to grow up on a farm. Farm's a lot of work. Got to be up early. Got to get the chores done before you go to school. And do school. When you come home from school, you got to go back to the chores before you can do your homework. But it helps you grow up. Some people today, they can't even, some kids, can't even... Vacuum a floor in an air-conditioned room without whining and complaining. 
And that's because they haven't been taught to work by their parents. We're preparing them for ruin. I took Andrew, obviously, you know, I work my boys. And I remember one time when uh, Andrew and Timothy were much younger, I took them to do some work for uh, one of the men of the church. And on the way home in the car, Timothy was 11. And, you know, Timothy's not that big of a guy. At 11, he wasn't that big. And he looked at me and he says, Dad, I had no idea I could run a weed eater for three hours. <laughs> I said, but you did it. You stuck at it, and I'm proud of you. It takes training. Don't let them get comfortable. Booker T. Washington said, Few things will help an individual more than to place responsibility on them and let them know you trust them to accomplish it. So parents, put responsibility on them. Encourage them, let them know that, they, that you trust them to get it done. And obviously you've got to inspect what you expect. And sometimes you're going to have to discipline because they didn't get it done and you've got to train. And that all takes work and that's why we don't want to do it. But it'll help them. If we don't do it, when they're 25, they won't be able to keep a job. There'll be one of these that's always talking about why the job wasn't fair and why the conditions weren't right and the the pay wasn't enough and the employer wasn't kind and always some excuse about why they can't keep that job. We're not built to be at ease. God said, listen, you got to the place where you're too comfortable. You're at ease from your youth, he says here, from your youth. You've settled back on your laurels. That's not where God wants us to sit in back, just relaxing. Yeah. We're, uh, Dr. Tim Green was at this college there when I was there last week, and he's 73 years old. And somebody asked him about advice about retiring. He looked at them and he goes, about what? <laughs> and they're like, well, not, not retiring, I mean like, making plans for that time of life, like like financially or whatever. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, you ought to, you ought to do something, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but he's like, retiring? We're serving God. There ain't, there's no such thing as retiring from God. Amen. We're serving God. We're just going to keep going until God calls us home. He said, I got no plans to retire. Just going to keep going. Yeah. Then we see, thirdly and lastly tonight, that the reason God saw that he needed to break them is they were proud. Several times they used the word magnified themselves. And look in uh, verse number 26. We see, he says, Make ye him drunken, for he magnified himself against the Lord. Look in verse number 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. You know, beloved, when you magnify yourself, you're doing it against God. Because it all comes from him. You cannot magnify yourself in any way without magnifying yourself against God. And if we put that in a proper perspective, I mean, how could we magnify ourselves against God? 
Well, I know sometimes we're not wise and we compare ourselves among ourselves and sometimes we magnify ourselves against or above somebody else here, but that's not who we're magnifying ourselves against. Ultimately, it's against God. And we know that God, seven things does the Lord hate, and yea, six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, and a proud look. God hates a proud look and somebody that would lift themselves up and pride against him. Beloved, when we go against God, God looks down at us and just, I I don't know if it's hurt, shock, wonder, like why would the creation magnify himself against the creator? I mean, he just looks down and I can picture just him thinking, why? Yeah, I mean, you, we can't understand how awesome God is. But in correlation to it, we can't understand how small we are. We really can't. We can't. I mean, the only thing I can picture or think about is an example is like an ant or a bug on the ground. I mean, something, I mean, you think about, I, I don't know if you've thought through these things, but I think about the magnitude of force like when you hit a fly with a flyswatter, <laughs> I mean, you think about the size of you as a man. And you hit that fly, and, and you think about that happening to you as, a, as an adult, you know? That much force in proportion to that happening to you, I mean, just wham! And I think the difference between us and God is thousands of times greater than that. Just how awesome and great God is. We've got to keep it in perspective, as we said in the beginning, that it's all from Him. It's all His. He is the Creator. We're the creation. It's all God, and God is good all the time. Whatever it is, God's blessed you. You know, we really have no cause to be discouraged. We really don't. I've told you in recent days, I've been transparent with you and told you how I I've, was dealing with some discouragement, with feeling weight and pressure and, and just, you know, dealing with that internally. But you know what? I don't have cancer today. My kids are still here and they, they love me. My wife would still do anything for me. All of them are, are well. I mean, we could go down the list and, you know, I, I could be in Ukraine today under attack. I could have lost one of my children because of a foolish war. I mean, there's so many things in my life that I could look at and, and, and if I just think about and realize that, you know, for I look at it and, and how bad it is, I say, oh boy, Woe is me, but consider how bad it could be. And think, man, God has been so good. I have no cause for discouragement. I guess that's why he says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. 
God chose or saw that he needed to break Moab. This is prophecy. This is prophetic. This is something that was going to happen in the future. It hadn't happened yet. Beloved, I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe God in his mind is looking at somebody in this room and saying, if something doesn't change, if that proudness, that haughtiness doesn't change, if that self-reliance doesn't change, or if that living life in ease and comfortable and no, no pushing themselves for me doesn't change, then I'm going to have to do something. But he hasn't done it yet. So we can change it. We can change it now.